welcome to our podcast for the weekend of the 17th and 18th of July. My name is Matthew and I'm the vicar of two churches on the northeastern side of Telford, St John's Muxton and St Michael's Lillishaw. And this is our regular weekly podcast, which you're very welcome to join us with. During the next half an hour, we spend time worshipping God, listening to his word and praying. And although we're separated and doing this from our own homes or wherever we are, we pray that by his spirit, we will be united. We're in the middle of a series of talks on the Sermon on the Mount. And the title of the series is A New Way of Living. And John Rawson, one of our team of preachers, will be helping us think about the passage where Jesus talks about salt and light under the title Daring to be Different. But before we do that, let's come to God in acknowledgement that we are weak and we need his strength, that we go wrong and he is perfect. We say a prayer of preparation and then I'm going to lead us in a time of confession. Please do join in the prayers when directed by repeating the words after me. So as we begin, let's ask God to be with us in the words of this prayer. Please repeat the words after me. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you, and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Spirit of the Lord fills the world and knows our every word and deed. Let us then open ourselves to the Lord and confess our sins in penitence and faith. And once again, please do repeat the words of this prayer after me. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, We have sinned against you and against our neighbour. In thought and word and deed. Through negligence, through weakness. Through our own deliberate fault. For the sake of your son Jesus Christ. Who died for us. Forgive us all that is past. And grant that we may serve you in newness of life. To the glory of your name. Amen. Hear these words of forgiveness pronounced over all those who truly repent. Almighty God, who forgives all who truly repent, have mercy upon us. Pardon and deliver us from all our sins. Confirm and strengthen us in all goodness, and keep us in life eternal, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We're now going to hear our first reading from Matthew chapter 5, and then the next voice you'll hear after that will be John Rawson's as he speaks to us. Matthew chapter 5 You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. 
Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Well, good morning, everybody. This morning, this Sunday morning, we will be meeting outside St. John's Church for the first time for a long, long time. And it'll be a wonderful opportunity to meet together in person for the first time in what seems many, many months. If, like me, I'm sure you've been deprived of some precious human contact and some freedoms of getting about during this COVID lockdown. And so we're now learning to appreciate those simple pleasures of being able to go out, go to a shop, have a haircut, go to have a drink in a pub perhaps, or meet a friend or, a fa- or get together with family. And we begin to realise that little things matter. Little things can make a big difference. And that's an idea I'd like to come back to as this morning we look at today's text. So this morning we're in a series looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew's Gospel chapter 5. And today we're looking at the verses 13 to 16 that present us two wonderful metaphors of being salt and light. Jesus tells his followers and by implication us as well, that we all are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Now, it is important to see these verses in the context of what we know as the Beatitudes, the previous first ten verses. And the Beatitudes are are essentially a description of the essential character of being a disciple of Jesus. Jesus is teaching his disciples the very qualities needed for those who are following him, to be poor in spirit, to be meek, to be pure in heart, to be people hunger and thirst for righteousness, to be merciful and to be peacemakers as God's blessed children. Because this is the very character of Christ and we are called to be like Christ. But it's not only in being Christ-like that we are blessed, but We are called to be a blessing to others. Our relationship with God, our discipleship for Christ, is not just for our own blessing, our own benefit and comfort. It is so we can love others in service and be a blessing to other people's lives, to make a difference. So Jesus is moving us from the inner qualities of believers to the outer qualities that make God visible to everybody else if we are chosen and blessed by God through our faith well what difference does it make to us if we don't live it out and show people what it means to us now I work at a Church of England school and in the diocesan inspection process of our school we're asked to prove our Christian distinctiveness which basically is a so what question Why are we different to any other primary school? What difference does it make to be a Christian church school? So we talk about gospel values and how they permeate our curriculum, our policies, everything we do and how we care for our children. As Ray Fowler writes, it's about being an obvious Christian so that it makes a difference. Daring to be different from the world around us and yet influencing the world around us by our distinctiveness. 
So Jesus uses these two wonderful metaphors for how we are to influence those around us in our relationships, our friendships and our life settings that we've been called to. And these metaphors are worth looking at in a bit of detail. So Jesus tells his disciples and us who follow him that they, well, you, me, us are salt of the earth. Salt is an essential commodity and a valuable commodity. It has value because of its usefulness. As a useful commodity, it was traded and, and used as payment. Roman soldiers were paid in salt, where we get the expression worth his salt from, or, and we get the word salary. Because Jesus is saying, you are valuable and you are useful. So let's, let's look at three characteristics of salt. Firstly, salt has been used for thousands of years as an antiseptic to heal infections in, in cuts and wounds. We have that expression, rubbing salt in the wound. So if you like, we can see it as we have a, a healing role as salt of the earth. Secondly, salt is a flavour enhancer that is essential for good taste. We cook with salt because it reduces bitterness in the other ingredients and it balances the sweet and the sour, so enhancing the flavour that we experience. And, and it also has a role in bringing colour into the ingredients and, and providing a texture. So as salt of the earth, we too can see ourselves as bringing good taste and enhancement of, of life's flavours and colour through our joy and, and our optimism the positivity of having faith, it drives out life's bitterness and sourness. The main function of salt, though, was as a preservative. It was rubbed into meats to kill off those harmful mould and bacteria that caused decay and rotting. So, too, we as salt have maybe a role to stop the rot in our very society, to stand up and fight corruption and injustice the very things that pollute human spirit and ruin community and society as christians to take a stand wherever our settings are against the things that are unfair that aren't right that erode our, our ethics and cause that long-term moral decay another little effect of salt is that it does make you thirsty Salt absorbs moisture, so in our mouths it makes us dry and parched. And when we are salt in the world, we can create a thirst. A thirst, though, for righteousness, for the water of life, that living water that Jesus speaks about to the woman at the well in, in John chapter 4, that only Jesus gives that will become in us a spring of abundant life. The second metaphor is that of light. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine out for all to see. Now light is used in scripture as a symbol of the presence of God in the world. Also whether in the word of God and Jesus as the light of the world or the people of God, believers acting as or reflecting God's light in the world. So again, let's look at three characteristics of light. 
One, light dispels darkness, revealing what is real and what is there, the reality. And the world is in the dark through ignorance and blind arrogance. And the light is the truth, the truth about God, dispelling ignorance and evil and allowing clarity of sight and wisdom and understanding. Light too then is a guide, a beacon, helping people find the way through the dark and in doing so often saving the lost and the vulnerable. And thirdly, light dispels fear and it comforts and it brings peace. My children won't like me to admit it, but until quite recently they liked to go to sleep with their light on so that they could be at peace and weren't afraid to go to bed. So you and I, as lights of the world, have a radical calling to reveal truth, wherever it may be, the truth about God, dispel the darkness of ignorance, falsehoods, lies, prejudices, but also to stand up to injustice, unfairness, corruption, and expose it to wherever it is found. And as a result, educate, guide, and inspire with our honesty and, and our integrity, honouring God's values and God's wisdom. And so, thirdly, bringing hope and peace and comfort to the confused, the frightened, the vulnerable. There's also something in those two verses about light, about collective light, and also individual personal light. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, if you've ever wandered through the dark countryside or been out at sea in the darkness, it can be very disorientating and disturbing until you see the twinkles of a distant village or a port that help navigate you home. And those twinkles are made up of all those individual windows, doorways, street lamps, of hundreds and hundreds of homes that together provide the city's illumination and that beacon in the dark. And so too the church. The church is the sum of its parts, made up of each of us, each one of us, offering our own individual light. So the church together becomes a beacon, a source of hope and direction in a gloomy and shadowy society or community. In verse 15, Jesus talks about lighting a lamp and putting it up high so everyone in the house receives the light. We name a light up high in our homes as a standard lamp. And so too we, in our families, with our friends, in our family settings, should hold up high the standard of our Christian values, our love, our kindness, our purity of heart, our thirst and hunger for righteousness, and our faith in Christ, so that everyone who knows us can see it as a standard to inspire to, and it's a witness to everyone that we know. But these verses too also come with some warnings. Let me just give you three. Firstly, the first warning is use it or lose it. See, Jesus warns us that if we lose our saltiness, we become then of no value. If the church isn't, through its distinctiveness and uniqueness, 
continually enhancing people's lives, offering hope and a new insight. It's not preserving and defending what is good in human communities. And what is the point of the church? We can become too much of the world, compromising and watering down our message to be popular so that along the way we lose our distinctive saltiness. The second warning is that we often hide our lights under bowls. When our faith becomes private and personal or just limited to Sunday, see we don't talk about it, we don't share it and we don't live it out in plain view for everyone we know to see. When we lack the courage of our convictions. Jesus has already told us in verse 11, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, mock you, laugh at you, and lie about you because you're a Christian. Just rejoice and be glad because you're not the first and you won't be the last. There's a third warning that doesn't come in this chapter, but is hinted at through Matthew 25 in his parable about ten bridesmaids with oil lamps that's about being ready and not unprepared and ill-equipped to be a light or salt at any time and not run out of oil and fade and gradually lose our interest our distinctiveness our power and our relevance remember too that you can over salt and ruin a dish that nobody wants to eat And you can floodlight and blind with too direct harsh light. So there is something about subtlety and humility in our words and deeds. In little sprinkles and flickers. The little things make a big difference. It's not about us. But it is down to us. And only us. It's a bit like Kitchener's finger in that First World War poster. God needs you. During this lockdown, I think all of us have realised that church is so much more than just a building and so much more than just somewhere we go on a Sunday. We've been challenged to be Christians in, in a crisis at home, out and about and at work. How can we positively influence the world during a fearful and pessimistic and isolating plague? How can we be Christians without singing and worshipping together? What do people see inspiring in us still? One of our readings this morning now turn to is Isaiah 58, verse 6 to 12. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, 
then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. In that reading, Isaiah is prophesying to a people who seem to think that one day of fasting and praying was enough. Enough for God to be with them and bless them for the rest of the week. They, they, but the rest of the week, they, they fought and they argued and they did as they pleased. But the message from Isaiah is that the point of our devotion and worship is to then have a heart of love and compassion. To care day to day about issues and, and want to make a difference because that is how God's love is shown and his glory revealed. By feeding the hungry by clothing the, the homeless, by doing something to help other people and show through our deeds. Now John Stott, the great Christian writer and evangelist, wrote about four ways Christians can influence the world. Firstly, to believe in the power of prayer. The church's first duty is to pray for our society and our community. 1 Timothy chapter 2 says, I urge then first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people. Pope Francis recently wrote that prayer is the battery for the light, the oil in the lamp if you like. Don't be ashamed to simply say, I'll pray for you. We're praying for you. To believe, secondly, to believe in the power of truth. The truth about God and his love and the truth of the one gospel. It is out of this message of forgiveness and salvation through Christ that our social commitment and righteous actions then flow. It is not just a call to go and do nice things if it is detached from our relationship with God our Father and his Son Jesus Christ and what they mean to us and have done for us. That is what makes the difference to who we are and what we do. Thirdly, the power of example. William Woodfin wrote, The proof of Christianity is not in a book, but in a life. The power of Christianity is not a creed, but a character. The way you live your life is the most powerful witness for Jesus. Your influence over who you are with and in what setting. Being that one Christian in your workplace. Being that Christian parent or Christian grandparents in the family. Being the one Christian neighbour in the street that you live in. That makes a difference. We are marked people and the world is watching. It's upon us to show our different values, our different standards, our different joys and hopes. And get people to think, I want that too, for me myself. May they see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And lastly, John Stoke wrote about the power of solidarity. We are a dedicated minority, a city on a hill, and we should never estimate the significance and the importance of a small group like us, a church in a locality here, in this place, with a new vision, 
A vision for God's justice here, for God's freedom. A vision for compassion, that, for those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are your salt. Sprinkle us across this town and this community to bring the flavour of your kingdom wherever we may be. We are your lights in this world. Hold us high to shine out your truth and display your love wherever we go. And let our light shine before others that everyone we meet may see our lives of worship and praise you, our Father in heaven. Amen. As we continue to reflect on what we've been hearing through John's words, let's remind ourselves of what we believe. So let us affirm our faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Please do repeat these phrases after me. Though he was divine, he did not cling to equality with God, but made himself nothing. Taking the form of a slave, he was born in human likeness. He humbled himself and was obedient to death, even the death of a cross. Therefore God has raised him on high and given him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every voice proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Amen. We now turn to prayer and in our prayers we begin by praying for the church. Father, as we move into a period where restrictions in society are lifted and as churches up and down the land work out what this means for their worship and their community life, Lord, I pray that you would give wisdom to church leaders and that as we return to some kind of normality that you would lay on the hearts of all your people what your priorities are for the future. May we not be wedded to the patterns of the past, but look forward with hope. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Today, as we pray for the world, we remember those communities and families that have been disrupted by flooding in Germany, Belgium, Switzerland. We pray for the bereaved. We pray for those who are still looking for missing persons. Father, we pray for the nation of Afghanistan as it undergoes a period of transition, as the military forces that have been there to keep the peace withdraw. We pray that the country would not descend again into civil war. We pray for our government as they tackle the coronavirus pandemic, which continues. We ask for wisdom for the scientists who are advising the government and for the politicians who have to make difficult choices. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for our young people whose education has been severely disrupted over the last year and a half, who've missed time out of school, who've had to find different ways to learn, for those who felt isolated from their friends. We ask that as we emerge from this pandemic, that you would give them an even greater sense of your love for them, that they would want to continue their journey with you. Lord, in your mercy, 
hear our prayer. Now, a moment of quiet as we remember those known to us who are struggling through ill health, through difficulties in relationships and through bereavement. Particularly at this time, we think of Anthony Warner. Father, we pray too for the families of Joan Collin, Graham Brown, Anne Cherm. And we pray for Kerry and Rob and Kai and Poppy and Kerry's father. Lord, bring healing, hope and comfort to all those we've mentioned. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We draw our prayers together in the words of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. And so as we finish, let's hear God's blessing pronounced over us. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep our hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. May the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit be among us and remain with us and with those we love, now and always. Amen. Amen.